Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of domestic abuse and the biblical counseling movement. Uh, But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks Live. PeaceWorks Live is our conference held in Charleston, West Virginia, September 7th and 8th of 2023. You're going to want to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. If you're benefiting from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, then I really think you would benefit from attending PeaceWorks Live. There's two options. You can, of course, attend via live stream, but we would highly recommend that you make your way to Charleston in September uh, and be there in person. It's going to be held at Bible Center Church. It's just 10 minutes or so from the airport, uh, 10 minutes from downtown Charleston, plenty to do. And of course, you get the benefit of being there with like-minded folks uh, learning about shepherding responses to the crisis of domestic abuse. Our guests are going to be uh, Ben Marshall and Greg Wilson, who are going to join me in talking about pastoral responses, counseling responses, leadership responses to domestic abuse. We'd love for you to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. You can learn more about PeaceWorks Live at chrismoles.org. Okay, so for the past few episodes, we've been talking about biblical counseling, about uh, our ethics as biblical counselors, about the basics, and how it intersects with this work that we do when it comes to domestic abuse. And some of the questions that we've received and some of the, uh, the, the things that people have been wanting to hear about is, okay, so how has this movement evolved? How has it grown when it comes to addressing domestic abuse? And in particular, there was something I said uh, on a live not too long ago regarding how early first-generation biblical counselors uh, said some things that were very similar uh, to their contemporaries uh, that we would now look back and say, oh, that was pretty naive. Perhaps it was narrowly focused. It wasn't very robust. And yet they were not too far off from their contemporaries. And so I thought it might be helpful to kind of run through just a history of uh, domestic abuse work very briefly, paralleling those two worlds, the secular response and then also uh, the biblical counseling response. So let's start with uh, the secular response, kind of a history of this movement when it comes to the idea of domestic abuse response or domestic violence response. If you look back throughout history, of course, you can find some references to um, spousal abuse or wife beating, which was kind of a, a phrase that was used as far back as ancient Rome. But in the American context, the Puritans actually banned family violence in some of their early communities. And so Puritan doctrine, Puritan churches were at least outwardly and philosophically opposed to family violence. But the laws of the time, they really lacked the the practical application. While there were statements that were made banning the practice or shaming the practice of what would be called wife beating or spousal abuse, 
uh, the laws of the land really did not catch up to the church's philosophical arguments. And there wasn't a lot of practicality. Like, how do we put uh, skin on this? How do we take this into the streets uh, was a difficult uh, application. But the Puritans were among some of the first Americans to, to make standards regarding uh, family violence. The first actual domestic violence laws um, around the country in the United States uh, were enacted at the state level in the late 1800s. I would say the 1870s, I believe, uh, if I read correctly, Massachusetts and Alabama were among the first states to um, criminalize the practice of spousal abuse, and in particular men who harmed women. There's a, there's a whole wave of discussions there uh, in that time frame following the early 1900s within the temperance movement and some misapplication happening in the temperance movement. But this was this late 1800s, early 1900s was the beginning of what would be known as the battered women's movement. Uh, and that would eventually evolve into some aspects of modern feminism and the domestic violence and the shelter uh, movement of the 1970s and 80s. So the 1870s uh, sees this recognition culturally of spousal abuse, and that leads into uh, the 1900s. Unfortunately, I think it's somewhat hijacked by the temperance movement and the progressive movement, but it comes back into full force um, directed towards spousal abuse uh, in the 1960s, along with many other aspects of women's rights uh, and the women's movement, uh, domestic abuse becomes one of those key categories that gets fleshed out. And that's when you start to see in the 1960s more public concern. Now, I bring this up because I think this is really important. This goes back to, as you recall, you know, me saying the biblical counseling movement early on had a lot of similarities to the secular understanding of domestic abuse and how, you know, in the 1960s, this is still a young movement. We still culturally haven't focused much attention or conversation on um, the battered women's movement or what's now becoming known as domestic violence or spousal abuse. Uh, And so even clinicians, um, judges, law enforcement, civil agencies in the 1960s were operating from a variety of positions, uh, some of which were pretty prejudiced, some were ignorant, uh, some were based on claims and research that wasn't really thorough. For instance, in 1964, um, I'll see if I can find the title for you real quick. In 1964, Time Magazine uh, published a piece, here it is, that was called Psychiatry. It was under the psychiatry heading, The Wife Beater and His Wife. And in that particular article in 1964, 1965, 1964, yes, uh, the researchers here contended that um, spousal abuse was in some ways therapeutic, like mildly therapeutic, uh, and that uh, it was healthy for people to stay in violent relationships, and they often equated uh, alcohol use to violence and um would use some pretty loaded language to describe the abuser uh, as somebody who had been emasculated, and they would often blame the victim. And so this is a mid-1960s study um, 
promoting the idea of mutuality and victim blaming and something that now I think all of us would look back on uh, and be somewhat appalled. But remember, the biblical counseling movement, it's beginning in the late 60s, 68, 69. Uh, It's gaining traction in the 70s post-publication of Competent to Counsel and running alongside the contemporary options, which would be something akin to what you're reading in this Time Magazine article in the late 60s. And so at this point, societally, we were still struggling with a lot of social-based problems um, as a society, including uh, violence against women. The 1980s is when the most significant change happened in our country regarding responses to domestic abuse. Um, Rising concern in the 1960s, more recognition in the 1970s, and then the establishment of more laws Uh, and social programs in the 1980s. That's when most states adopted legislation regarding domestic violence. That's when, excuse me, most states begin to add criminal um, punishment laws regarding spousal abuse. And you got to remember, too, that just because a law is enacted doesn't mean that a law is enforced or that it's enforced properly. So as, as... Um, recent in our history as the 1980s is still the birth of understanding the dynamic and impact um, of domestic abuse, the 1970s and 80s being the shelter um, development of shelters uh, around the country and social services, the 1980s seeing uh, DAIP and others forming responses for batter intervention. And again, it's not till 1994 that the modern domestic abuse response work is enacted federally through what's known as VAWA or the Violence Against Women's Act. That's when federal funding began to be available for communities to build out community-coordinated responses, to supply funding for shelters and for social workers and for counseling. So I bring all that up to say the vast majority of our social responses to domestic abuse have been occurring since 1994. Uh, Prior to that, it was really about finding someone um, who had had some experience if you were going to get really good counsel. Now, that brings me to the the, the biblical counseling movement. Why is this important, Chris? Well, I think it's important to recognize culturally where biblical counseling and the movement was formed. Uh, Late 60s, early 70s, we're running parallel to uh, a societal work and a cultural work that's in its infancy when we're talking about domestic abuse work. And so some of the early writings in the biblical counseling movement, uh, we have recently seen jettisoned, removed, uh, highlighted, or responded to within those within our movement, rightfully so, because the methodology and the approach are limited and harmful. We know that now because we've been able to observe and been able to apply theological and biblical principles to the work that we do over an extended period of time. So when Jay, Jay Adams, uh, writes his piece in 1990, uh, What Is She to Do?, uh, we would have to assume that it's based largely upon his personal opinion, beliefs, 
and limited practice when it comes to working cases of domestic abuse and may be informed uh, by some of the cultural approaches that are available at the time. Again, prior to 1994, I would still call domestic abuse work, I would say it's in its infancy, especially in the counseling world. So uh, when, when that piece is written in 1990, it's written with very little information or insight or case wisdom from the movement as a whole. Uh, the same could be true when George Scipione, I think, wrote his well-worded piece in response uh, years later in 1997 about domestic violence, what's the church to do? Uh, here we have another first-gen biblical counselor kind of responding and adding some nuance. And so, you know, I'm not attempting to make excuses, but to in many ways clarify we should move beyond these responses because we've grown in case wisdom, we've grown in knowledge in much the same way the culture uh, parallel, paralleling us has grown in wisdom and responses. We have the added benefit of having the scriptures, of having the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, of having the church and the other good gifts that God has given us. And so our first-gen biblical counselors were, I believe, writing from limited positions, uh, building upon each other, which is a, a good example of that, is how Skip, how George Scipione built upon what Jay had written, and I think expanded it in good and healthy directions, and he continued to grow uh, as he continued to minister. Uh, Second-generation biblical counselors, uh, very similar to what we saw in the culture, were developing healthy responses, uh, CCEF in 2001 has a, a very good presentation by Jeffrey Black called Breaking the Silence of Domestic Violence. It was one of the first biblically-based presentations I heard uh, as an audio lecture. I actually heard it. Are you ready for this? I heard it on cassette tape. Uh, but that was in 2001, uh, just seven years removed from VAWA and kind of the new um, federal wave of money and service creation that was occurring in our, in our country. Uh, if you get a chance to listen to Jeffrey, Jeffrey Black's presentation or see the outline, uh, considering that it was done in 2001, it was done very, very well. Also in 2001, uh, CCF released their first booklet attempt to respond. And if you know anything about biblical counseling, that's one of our, uh, that's one of our, primary media is we love to give out chapter size booklets as homework. Uh, homework's a big part of the work that biblical counselors do. And David Powelson, Ed Welch, Paul Tripp published a booklet through CCEF called Domestic Abuse, How to Help in 2001. Uh, I would say that, you know, 85, 90% of the booklet is spot on in particular, um, understanding the victim. There are a few places where it, things could be worded better. Uh, like anything, we are adapting and changing and growing. I think there's a couple uh, assumptions that are made that needed to be addressed. And to their credit, CCEF eventually did address those things. And that's part of understanding and seeing our movement growing, much like we saw the cultural response growing and changing. The 2000s saw a variety of lectures, conference sessions, conversations on abuse held at a variety of locations. There was no, to my knowledge, no uniform approach in the 2000s 
uh, to understanding abuse. There was uh, Jeffrey Black's lecture, which was being circulated among more of the CCEF tribe. There was a lecture by Tim Pasma that was being circulated among more of the NANC or ACBC crowd, but there was no uniform approach. We had this one booklet. We had uh, two articles. Uh, we had a variety of conversations uh, regarding domestic abuse, all operating kind of on a bell curve. You could see the increased awareness with each new ideation of response. It really wasn't until the late uh, 2000s into the 2010s, the late aughts, when you saw probably the the springboard work, in my opinion, and it's going to surprise some listeners, and that was Leslie Vernick's book, How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. Uh, this was one of her early writings that took into consideration aspects of harm and disrespect uh, and even some aspects of destructive relationships that was highly valued in the biblical counseling movement. It also allowed further conversations to have happen regarding domestic abuse. Now, I bring this book up in this time frame because I think it is in the late aughts when the biblical counseling movement started to have um, more wide-ranging conversations about this. And I do give Leslie a great deal of credit uh, with this particular book, How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. It was at this time that I was doing my master's degree in biblical counseling, having many of these conversations myself. And it's also at this time when I got my first invitation to speak publicly. And that's where I think the door cracks for biblical counseling and further research is in the 2010s. Uh, it's at that point that the third-generation biblical counselors, those are, who are kind of following after what Leslie had done in her book, uh, begin to discuss this topic more openly in conferences, in writings. And, it's, and this is where I think the change is. I think the change is that this, this group of people are bringing case experience and personal experience to biblical counseling as opposed to taking first-generation biblical counseling and trying to apply it to domestic abuse. And so you get, uh, again, Leslie's book, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship, which uh, sparks a lot of conversations in the movement. You get uh, almost simultaneously, uh, unbeknownst to each other, these isolated ministries that are starting by Darby Strickland, myself, and Joy Forrest, uh, each of us bringing different experiences, Darby being a missionary and a counselor, uh, Joy being a survivor and an advocate, and then myself having worked in battery intervention and biblical counseling, bringing our experiences and combining them with our counseling training. Uh, of course, Darby with Westminster and CCEF and Joy with uh, Southeastern and then myself as a longtime biblical counselor, but then also studying at Faith Seminary. And you kind of see the third-gen approach that really takes that crack in the door and broadens it to our entire movement. And then the discussions continue to happen. And now you have just theologically rich discussions from people like Nate Brooks, and you have more practical advocacy restruction, uh, um, instruction from from friends like Anne Marie and from uh, Called to Peace and from uh, 
other avenues. You have the IBCD uh, observation videos that are birthed. And so the movement begins to expand uh, in a very similar but scripturally, biblically centric way to what we saw in the culture. So I bring this up to say there is a history of evolution and development when it comes to biblical counseling's response to domestic abuse. It's not dissimilar uh, to what happened in the culture. I think what is unique to us is the desire and, and the fear. that There's a desire to not lose that first-generation significance. And we owe a lot to a first-generation biblical counselors. There's no doubt. Uh, and we don't want to lose that first-generation approach. Uh, but at the same time, a fear of moving away from the first-gen approach. Certainly there are things from the first generation that we hold dear and, and take seriously. The sufficiency of Scripture, progressive sanctification, centrality of the local church, the centrality of Christ, the the uh, need for the gospel to be um, a vital part of the counsel that we offer. But I also think we would acknowledge that wisdom would say counseling practice, counseling application is going to evolve. And when combined with case wisdom is going to provide better outcomes for the people that we serve. And I'm thrilled with the development over the years. And I do think we will always have components and members and parts of our tribe that will that will look to the the, the early days for practice. Um, but I think we can see both culturally and in the biblical counseling movement that there are times to move on. And and also a warning there too, you know, culturally, um, you know, I've been part of this movement culturally for a long time as well. And we're moving in uncharted territories, culturally, societally. Um, there are, are movements and um, ideations happening within the cultural and societal uh, world in regards to domestic and spousal abuse that I think are actually unhealthy um, in regards to gender and in regards to understanding um, who we serve and how we serve people and uh, how we communicate uh, that I think are unhealthy. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll learn from those mistakes as well as we continue to evolve in the biblical counseling movement. So my, my goal over the last three episodes has been able just to articulate, hopefully, we have some basic premises that we hold to, uh, even if we do devi- deviate somewhat practically. We have some ethics that we try to practice, and we have a history. And like any movement, history matters, and there's going to be an evolution, just like there was a... Um, progression when it comes to the battered women's movement that led to uh, the Violence Against Women's Act uh, that made a significant change and shift uh, in how we respond to victims of domestic abuse and sexual abuse. There has been a progression in our biblical counseling movement that I think has been for the better uh, and I'm happy to be a part of. I hope that was helpful. I hope that uh, maybe sparked some more discussion and conversations We'd love to continue to have those. A great way to stay in contact with us is to follow us on social media, to connect with us through our website. And here it comes. Be a part of PeaceWorks Live in September. You know, come be with us in person. uh, Learn from our speakers, from other participants, and enjoy uh, the time together as we process and think about ways 
that we can respond to the sin of domestic abuse with gospel-centered solutions. Thank you guys again. Until next time, God bless.